You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that the reason people find tea so relaxing might be the L-theanine in it. L-theanine is an amino acid that you can take as a common supplement that makes you relax without making you want to sleep. It can also increase your memory and focus, and it can actually increase alpha brainwaves, so you might even get more lucid dreams from it. Today's episode is one of those very, very fun ones where we get to talk about Q&A. And sitting here next to me is Dr. Mark Atkinson. We're going to answer questions that you've sent in via the blog or via Facebook or via the new voicemail service that we've got plugged in on bulletproofexec.com. So you can actually go there and click and leave us a voicemail. We'll actually play your question as you've read it. I get a ton of these questions every day, and I really appreciate that you take the time to send them in to me. It's not really possible for me to answer every question. So if I don't answer your questions on here, what you can do is you can just go on over to forum.bulletproofexec.com and there are tens of thousands of people sitting there ready to listen to it. Our number of listeners has grown rapidly. So the chances of a million people listening to this episode are pretty good over time. I guarantee you that the number of people who hear this, that together you all know more than I do. So if you go to forum.bulletproofexec.com and ask us about any question, you'll get a bunch of informed opinions from people who've thought about it, and you'll probably get a bunch of uninformed opinions, but we're going to set you right directionally in the forums, and for the big questions, I'm going to take those here with Dr. Mark. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Before Mark and I get started, though... I should introduce him in case you haven't met him yet. This is, I think, your third or fourth time on Bulletproof Radio? Yep, fourth, I think. All right. So Dr. Mark is a, a pioneer of integrative medicine from the UK. He's also a personal development teacher, and he's the Bulletproof Medical Director. When you sign up for the Bulletproof Coach Training Program, he's the course leader. So Mark and I have developed the Bulletproof Training Course together, and he's the primary teacher, and I'm part of the, the training as well, but I don't lead all of the training sessions. Mark does, and uh, he and I have worked together on this quite a bit. 
Mark, thanks for coming up to Bulletproof Labs. It's cool that you live only 45 minutes away, so not too long of a commute. It's great. And I was wearing this ridiculous-looking mask, which I found on like eBay. It's, it's not an amazing piece of biohacking tech, but it does, if people are looking at it, have these color-changing LEDs, this red, green, and blue, and they shine pretty brightly um, on your face. And the idea there is you wear this mask, and it, it does some things. But what was our first question? That's why I decided to break this out. Yeah, okay. So our first question comes from Ben, and the question is, Dave, what's your favorite color of light? <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to do. Light is a drug, and if we yeah. acknowledge that light is a drug and realize that just like you could eat junk food without knowing it, you can also expose yourself to junk light without knowing it. So my favorite color of light that's missing or underrepresented is red. And that's because red light causes you to grow new collagen. It actually accelerates the growth of collagen. And not just any red light. Specific frequencies of red light can have different effects. And there are several different studies pointing at different frequencies, but most of the new either deep red or red LEDs that are at a fixed frequency, the, the higher quality, more recently manufactured ones, hit those wavelengths. So if you have red, you can actually increase mitochondrial function and you can increase healing in the cells and you can cause a faster rate of collagen. So I use this mask and a few other red LED technologies when I'm, uh, say, in a hyperbaric chamber, when I'm doing infrared sauna, or sometimes just when I'm working. In fact, even as we're recording this right now, I have some red LED tape up in the ceiling. And when you just tilt the light to be a little bit more warm, it really does good things for your brain. In the morning and at night, red is very important. And during the day, there's an argument for more blue light from overhead. So during the day, I'd say that's a good color. The problem is blue light without the infrared heat that comes from being outside in the sun with blue skies overhead has a different effect on the body because blue light by itself or when it's overrepresented is actually a source of oxidative stress for your cell membranes. And it doesn't get the signal to heal that you would get when you're outside under natural sunlight where you have a blue sky and thermal warmth. So warmth plus blue light equals daytime. Cold blue light, like you get from fluorescent lights or just blue LED lights, is less effective. But there is a case for blue LED light, both for healing acne, there's a case for it with babies, and there's a case for it maybe even for resetting your circadian rhythm, although light intensity is more important than color for circadian rhythm. So super bright halogen lights in the morning might work better than a blue LED with less oxidative stress on the eyes. Long answer, but kind of cool. Okay. Yeah, and, and yeah, just to kind of kind of wrap that up a little bit, you know, our environment has a profound influence on the way we feel, the way we perform. Yeah. And, you know, just as an experiment, you know, as you go throughout the day, start to notice the different colors. And when you look at those colors, how that kind of impacts. So when you look at the clear blue sky, look at the gray sky, you notice how it immediately impacts you. And we start to realize that moment by moment, unless we're consciously taking charge of it, our environment is often influencing, determining how we feel. So that's why yeah. you've got to take charge of it. It, it's one of those things I never would have noticed, but I, I felt a long time ago, I'd go into these like big box stores like a Best Buy or Bed Bath & Beyond or Costco and any of those places, and I feel drugged after 10 minutes. Yeah. Like my ability to make decisions seems like it goes mm -hmm. down like I'm putting crap in my cart that I don't need. Like, do I really need like mm -hmm. 95 rolls of paper towels? I, I don't know. Maybe I'll take two. And mm -hmm. I used to think it was because there, there was bad air. Like there's mm -hmm. no air in here. You're just kind of like, ugh. Mm. But I realized it's actually the lighting. Mm. The lighting dulls my brain after a while. Uh, and I do have sensitive eyes to this. And we, we've had Helen mm. Erlen on the show. And in fact, Helen's going to come up. She, she makes custom tints to protect your eyes from different spectrums that make your brain specifically weak. She's going to come up and train uh, you and me. So we'll actually be certified yeah. practitioners of, of, yeah. of her specific set of knowledge. And we'll have her on the show. But what's really interesting, if I wear my Erlen lenses or just regular sunglasses and I put a hat on, I don't get drugged when I'm in stores anymore. And what's going on there is the blue lights overrepresented in those uncovered fluorescent lights and the stores are overilluminated and there's no shadows anywhere. And we're supposed to have shadows. Shadows tell our brains where the ground is. So basically it starts to increase the metabolic requirements in the mm -hmm. brain. And eventually I just kind of hit a wall and I'm like kind of drooling on myself and then I'm just mindlessly spending money. So, oh my God, lights can do that? Yeah. Light matters. So, I.e. light and color is a source of stress. Yeah. As well as a source of nourishment as well. Correct. And then compared on top of that is, of course, then noise pollution. So you go into <laughs> a noisy place with the wrong lighting surrounded by noise, then what happens is the body goes into a stress reaction. Yeah. And then when you're in a stress, you know, stress creates, you know, stupidity. You know, bad decisions flow from stress. 
And so, yeah. the, and this all happens unconsciously. So that's what we're kind of saying. We share, we share these kind of things, not just to give you information. It's for you to then take that information and experiment. Notice when you're in different environments, surrounded by different people, how that impacts on you. And then you can choose where you go, or you can choose how long you're going to be in a certain series for before you extract yourself. Uh, one of the things that I use that, that's really important is I, I live in a relatively quiet part of the world. I'm not too far from the airport, but it, it's really quiet. So I have this problem, though, because like screeching bald eagles and hooting owls, they totally interrupt my flow. You, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm Challenging life. <laughs> no sympathy. But it's one of the reasons that, that I chose yeah. to live where I live is Likewise. because having silence and peace, it, it increases my performance and my ability to, to give back and just yeah. to, to give back to my kids just to be present in the world, it, it's better when I'm not actively filtering crap out from auditory and visual systems. Yeah. And this is about making a conscious choice, not about an inability to do that. Uh, the other thing that's that's completely cool, and not in this question, but it's worth talking about, is if you want to feel amazing when you get off an airplane, it, wear the baseball hat, wear the sunglasses, the dark glasses look a bit like a terrorist. It's okay. You just look like one. You're not actually one. And get noise-canceling in-ear headphones. And you can carry these heavy over-ear ones that kind of smash your, your head. Uh, for most people, the smashing of the ear actually triggers the trigeminal nerve after a while. But Bose makes an in-ear one. They're very small, they're lightweight, and the stewardess can come up to like offer you something to drink, and all you hear is nothing. Mm. And it cuts all that background airplane noise out. So all of a sudden you're sitting mm. in an airplane. You don't get bright like beams of sunlight from the side, which are actually stressful because we're meant to have sunlight from above, and it activates half your brain, not the other half. So you cut glare, you cut noise pollution, and then don't eat the crap on the airplane, drink a lot of water. And when you land, you're like, mm. okay, I feel like myself. And I thought, okay, maybe it's just me. But a friend of mine said, Dave, my eight-year-old just freaks out. He always gets a migraine when he flies, and, and just it, he's terrified of flying. I'm mm. like, try these tricks. So they did it. Exactly that. She's mm -hmm. like, I can't believe it. He got off the airplane. It's the first time he's ever had a comfortable flight. So there's less people. They're not getting migraines. They're just yeah. getting weak. And yeah. like, we, you can, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of empowering, is it, to know that we can create this microenvironment within which we exist most of the time that is supportive of us. And so we can be in challenging situations, but there are certain things we can do to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're describing there. So, um, and also just kind of, you know, because we're getting on noise, pollution, things like that. Just also, you know, what you listen to, TV, you watch, all those kind of things. Sitting in front of a TV, you're being exposed to a whole bunch of disruptive wavelengths that are also scrambling your brain as well. So just you're as a, about from light. Yeah, yeah, from light, yeah, and from light and from noise as well. So just be mindful of this and how it impacts on you, and then make a decision about if it if it empowers you, you feel great after it, do more of it. If not, do something about it. So now we're speaking about technology, and one of the things that you can do is you can set the color temperature of your TV, if it's a newer one, to not be so bright white, which will affect you at night. So you can lower the color temperature, and you can get the Zentech screen protector. I've got one on my phone right now, and we all, you can make that for your computer. You should run Flux, F.Lux, mm -hmm. on your computer to turn down the light and things like that. And uh, from a, a noise perspective, this is just a bit of trivia, but it's really cool because you're a doctor. You remember 24, that really popular series we just couldn't stop watching with Jack Bauer? You may not, because... No. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Between each, each cut, they had this little sound. It was like a beeping sound and then some strange sound. It was really arresting. And the reason it was so arresting is it was actually the recorded sound of a human heartbeat with a mm. dysfunctional heartbeat. They basically had found a sound clip of someone with a, a basically a damaged heart, and they're playing a damaged heartbeat between them. And you cannot help but hear that go, like, like be right. jangled. And that's one of the reasons the show is really addictive is mm. the camera angles, the cuts, and just like this constant stress. It's an mm. addictive show. It's actually a really good show, mm. but quite violent. But mm. they were doing little tricks like that that affected you neurologically that you didn't know about. Mm. This is fascinating. Okay, it's yeah, prob prob probably <laughs> the kind of question we should come back to some other time because it's fascinating. But anyway, yeah. let's... Uh, so uh, first, um, second question from Jeremiah, age 15. So hi, Dave, I'm a young entrepreneur, and I was just curious how you got started in the health industry. I wanted to know how you started, and if you could do it all again, what would you do? Uh, if, uh, would you do anything differently? Uh, thank you, and have a nice day. Uh, well, Jeremiah, thanks for taking the time to write your question in, and I, I love it that you're a young entrepreneur. I was a young entrepreneur, too. In fact, I, I was always looking at starting companies, and it so happened when I was 22-ish, 
my one of my early companies that made t-shirts sold the first product online ever. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. However, the most important thing that I could have done as a young entrepreneur would have been to work for other entrepreneurs rather than just do what I naturally did, which was I'll go it alone. I can do this. I want to be in charge. I spent 20 years working for startups in Silicon Valley, started by people 20 years older than me, uh, who basically taught me some sense. So the number of times I was mentored by people who just had walked into walls and stepped on sharp things and just learned where the pitfalls lied, who took their time to teach me those things so I could function like I do now at, at 43, is uh, it, it's hard to state. So the best thing that, that I would recommend to get started in the health industry is find a way to get working with someone who is already well-established. Volunteer uh, to, to do content or social media or to work with someone who is already in the health industry, even a local physician, someone with a product, and put in the time in order to understand what's going on that you don't see. Because as an entrepreneur, you present this stuff to the world, but the stuff that happens in the back, it's kind of like sausage making, right? You know, you're grinding all these ingredients and all these things, and it's not always pretty. And at the end of the day, you put it together into execution. But if you want to learn how to build an effective team, find someone who's an amazing team leader and who just has a, a sense of, of leadership that's tangible to you and then become a part of their team and then ask them how they build the team and watch how they build the team and watch how they fire people who don't perform and learn from that. And it's that kind of learning for me from failing many times that helped me to become a good entrepreneur. And in terms of getting started in the health industry, working with those who are already doing it is a great way to get started to build your network in it. And for 10 years, I ran a nonprofit in the space. I got to know the leaders in the anti-aging field. It's called the Silicon Valley Health Institute, svhi.com. We've got 10 years worth of video up online for free. It's, it's a meaningful thing that's been running for 23 years. It's that that helped me understand what was going on in the health industry. So putting in the time, becoming an expert, and recognizing that uh, at 15 or even 20 or 25, you're capable of executing and you're willing to take risks that someone who's 40 with a family and a mortgage probably never will. Uh, so you, you have a unique time to go out there and change the world. But if you're going to do it at a young age, you could also have people who help you. Even if you look at, say, Mark Andreessen, who's a very, very successful venture capitalist and investor, who was um, out there at, at got started, uh, I think, about a year before I did in, in Silicon Valley. He's the guy who wrote the first web browser way back in the day. Um, this is NCSA Mosaic and, and things like that. What you'll find with Mark is that working with him since his very early entrepreneurial debuts was a guy named Jim, someone or another, who came out of Sun Microsystems. And what you'll find is that young entrepreneurs oftentimes have very, very experienced advisors and they have enough control of their ego so that they're willing to accept advice from people who've been there before. You put together a strong board of directors, a strong board of advisors, and you listen and execute on that advice. And I wish I had been less stubborn than I used to be because I probably would have done even more than I have so far. Okay. And I, I think that ability to listen and sometimes be humble, sometimes not be humble, sometimes yeah. to be absolutely firm <laughs> in your conviction that this yeah. is the right thing and we will do this, mm -hmm. but having the flexibility to know when to be humble, when, yeah. to, when to be rigid is a big part of it. And also, um, just speaking from someone um, who thought I was an entrepreneur for a while, but actually I'm not entrepreneurial, and sometimes you have to admit that, which is some people are naturally orientated towards being an entrepreneur, they have that attitude and others aren't. And sometimes there's a lot of people out there who feel they want to be entrepreneurs, but actually that's not that suited to their character makeup. And so mm -hmm. sometimes partnering up with others who are in the same space, who, who have different skill sets, can be a great way of making a difference together. Yeah, there's a lot of weird messaging that goes in. Like, like there's stuff you should do or stuff you should want to do. And these are messages that are implanted by society or your parents or your peers or whoever, right? But if it's not actually what you love doing, yeah. like there are people who like being part of a team and they don't need to be leader because they like executing, mm -hmm. they like researching, they like experimenting, they like creating. And if they're in an environment that allows them to do that to the best of their ability, they're part of an entrepreneurial team, but they're not the entrepreneur. And so recognize whether you want to be an entrepreneur because that's your core motivation yeah. or because that's what's cool. And if you want to do it because that's what's cool, Figure out if there's something that's even cooler and do that. Yeah, got it. Okay, so now we're going to take a question from Molly. 
Hi, Dave. My name is Molly Ponkevich. I'm from Portland, Oregon. And my question was regarding healthy fats. Um, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease about a year ago, and I've noticed on the diet, um, I get quite nauseous after eating a lot of the fats, like the coconut oil and whatnot in my coffee. And um, my digestive system is pretty much shot from the Lyme. So I was wondering if your brain octane oil would be if you think it would yield a different result since apparently it's digested more rapidly and um, what your recommendations are for this. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've had this inquiry before, but anyhow, I love your podcast and I love everything that you share and I hope to continue on the Bulletproof Diet regardless of the obstacles. Um, and have a good day. Bye. Thanks, Molly. Definitely try brain octane versus coconut oil. It actually like gives me indigestion to write in the Bulletproof Diet like or use coconut oil because brain octane oil is about 5% of what's in coconut oil. It's just very hard to get that kind of oil from nature. And brain octane oil is not digested. In fact, it's not digested via the pathways that coconut oil is predominantly digested by. But if you have fat absorption problems and you have a history of Lyme, which also almost by definition means you probably have some mold exposure as well. My experience is that 90% of Lyme people also have neurotoxins from mold present and that might have even precipitated Lyme disease. Because my other experience as being a co-founder of a medical testing company uh, that, that could test for active Lyme disease was that like 98% of people have Lyme DNA present in their urine. So you already have Lyme spirochetes present. You're just not sick. And what gets you sick? When something else takes you down. And quite often it's, oh, I moved into that moldy bedroom for two months and then I got Lyme disease, but I also had mold poisoning at the same time. So the number of Lyme people who respond to mold treatments is pretty remarkable. And then your immune system comes back online and cleans up the Lyme. You may also need to treat the Lyme directly with antibiotics and things like that. Like there's a lot of variability out there, but do be aware of that. That said, your digestion shot, betaine HCL. Um, there's certainly in the forums, there's going to be instructions about this, but there's something called um, bowel, uh, or not bowel titration. This is just called titration. In other words, you take betaine HCL, which is stomach acid, take one capsule with a meal. And if you don't get heartburn next meal, take two and just keep adding one until you get heartburn. Then you back off one from there for many years. I had to take six grams of betaine HCL, which is a huge dose. That's six large capsules to digest my meals. I don't have to take any now. And I might take one or two if it's a really fatty meal, but that's just because your stomach acid production declines with age. So this is one thing that's going to help you right now. And the feeling you get when you have Lyme disease or mold toxicity, when you get ketones is pretty amazing. And the most rapid way you can get ketones in your diet is to actually take brain octane oil, pour that stuff in and have brain octane oil. And it will go via something called beta hydroxybutyrate and then to coenzyme A and then ATP. It's only three steps compared to 26 steps to get energy from glucose. So try brain octane. It is, uh, it has no flavor. It doesn't change the taste of anything other than to make it taste better because it activates fat receptors without containing a fatty flavor. So it's culinarily very interesting. And I actually put brain octane in my coffee, obviously, but I put it on all of my food. I just sprinkle a little bit on every meal and I don't have energy dips ever because I have a background level of ketones. And this isn't about being in full-blown nutritional ketosis. It's about having enough ketones that my energy is always stable. When you have Lyme or mold, your energy is never stable. And this is a way to basically fill in those valleys that come from swinging blood sugar and to let your gut come back online. If you listen to the podcast with Donna Gates, who is the founder of the Body Ecology Diet, which is essentially the, where the, the GAPS diet originated, you'll find that she's talking about how she loves brain octane for gut health because it really can help with that as well. Okay, that's pretty comprehensive, right. <laughs> so I think we're good. Okay, next question is from Evan, age 31. Why does 300 milligrams of alpha lipoic acid leave me extremely dehydrated? Taken for at least two days, my old disc injuries flare up. Um, shall I take yeah, this one? I, this is interesting. I have yeah. some theories. I want to hear yours. Yeah, so um, just to back up a little bit, so alpha-lipoic acid is a fat and water-soluble antioxidant. The cells of our body actually naturally produce in very, very small um, amounts. Um, it's super important because it helps to recycle other antioxidants such as vitamin C, E, 
uh, glutathione. It helps glutathione production, which supports detoxification. It's also really important energy production as well. So we do need alpha-lipoic acid. And actually in Germany, um, doctors use alpha-lipoic acid to treat peripheral neuropathies um, caused by diabetes. So I saw this question. I thought, okay, I'm going to research yeah. it because I've, ne I've never heard of dehydration. So classically, if someone's um, a little bit sensitive to alpha-lipoic acid, you get nausea, sometimes a skin rash. Um, I researched dehydration, and there's one report of dehydration to the FDA about alpha-lipoic acid. So th this is an, an unusual reaction. And for a lot of people, alpha-lipoic acid is actually anti-inflammatory. So the first question is, well, what source is this alpha-lipoic acid? Um, is it high quality? Is it the R form of alpha-lipoic acid? I was going to go there. Okay, you got that. Okay, so the, there's two forms of alpha-lipoic acid, R and L. R is the, the natural one. And basically what they are, they're isomers. And it basically means they have exactly the same atoms, but they're configured in different ways. And so we know that the body utilizes and preferentially uses R form alpha-lipoic acid. So make sure you're taking that right form. Um, and also, you know, alpha-lipoic acid um, you know, goes very well with N-acetylcysteine, the synergistics. So you could try it with NAC as well. They, they, they kind of pack a pretty powerful punch together. Uh, your thoughts? Well, definitely, I love that you mentioned the R-A-L-A. There's also something called K-R-A-L-A, potassium R-alpha-lipoic acid, which is the most noticeably effective. The uh, inventor of that, maybe almost 15 years ago, I was chatting with him about it, and he kept sending me these like unlabeled mm -hmm. vials, and I would take it like, whoa, this stuff kind of lights you up. And you can, you can buy that stuff today still. Mm -hmm. And I'm not certain that you're actually dehydrated, Evan. Uh, you haven't told us why you think you're dehydrated, but one of the things that can happen when you take something like this, if it, if it causes any kind of Herxheimer reaction, a Herxheimer reaction is what happens when you take something that increases your health, but it causes a short-term healing crisis. In other words, it liberated toxins. I would look for metal toxins, because what I think is going on is alpha-lipoic acid, which is a chelator of metals, is probably liberating some mercury or some other metals from your tissues. And when that happens, then the body's like, oh my God, I need to dilute this to excrete it. So when you get toxins, whether they're from moldy coffee, and yes, moldy coffee makes you have to pee more rapidly with less volume than normal coffee, and things like that, any kind of toxin there that is affecting the kidney specifically or the bladder will trigger your body to pull liquid out of your plasma and it does that because the solution to pollution is dilution. So now it's dehydrated your tissues to get liquid to make you pee and then just to get this out because if it doesn't take that pollutant and dilute it, it's actually gonna cause more damage. So what I think is going on here is you're actually having a healing crisis brought about by this and I would recommend you do a 24 hour urine challenge to look at what metals you have in your body. And I suspect you're gonna find mercury. And if I was to just bet, I would say some lead and some cadmium too, but hey, I'm just betting. Yeah, and particularly if you have mercury, if you have mercury amalgam fillings, you uh, eat a lot of tuna, uh, obviously you smoke or you're a passive smoker, there'll almost certainly be heavy metals there. So I think you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. The extreme dehydration is probably a dry mouth. Yeah, And the dry mouth is a consequence of the toxins coming out. So I, I think that's spot on. And, and the old disc injuries flaring up, you liberate toxins that were, say, held somewhere else in the body. All of a sudden, you're going to get inflammation. inflammation. Also, if you have old disc injuries, for God's sake, go do some prolozone. It, it's one of the simplest things you can do. And what they do there, it's not terribly expensive. It usually runs about 75 to 150 bucks. They inject ozone gas into the joint capsule. And I've seen profound growth of collagen. If you have some collagen left in there, you can totally fix it. It's very effective on knees and spine. Yeah, and you'll, you'll also mm -hmm. probably need some liposomal glutathione as well because your body's detoxing, it needs some extra support, mm -hmm. so take some liposomal glutathione. In, in fact, take the glutathione force, which is, uh, which is the stuff we make, and it's a liposome, which is the only way you can really absorb glutathione because normal glutathione is digested, but we take a liposome and we put a lactoferrin on top of it so that liposomes absorb in the top five and a half inches of your, your GI tract. You have to hold them under your tongue. But the form that we use, which comes out of the pharmaceutical industry, it's a drug delivery system that we're applying not to drugs, but we're applying to a healthy molecule that's usually digested. It can actually absorb in the gut, which gives you much better absorption. And that's something I take most days because it really helps just to keep the body liberating the toxins, which lets the brain work better. And it's the only glutathione product I've come across that tastes good as well. Uh, good. Yeah. The orange yeah. cinnamon is a lot better than the old one, which was uh, truly <laughs> awful was yeah. actually the name. Yeah. All right.
Okay, so next question is from Audrey. <clears throat> Would you consider making DVDs or online videos available to purchase of the Bulletproof Conference for those of us who are unable to attend this year? Last year's conference was great. Really don't want to miss out. Well, Audrey, short answer, absolutely. This year's conference was 1,300 people versus 500 last year. The presentations were over-the-top amazing, and I, I couldn't have been more pleased and amazed with how the conference came out. And in fact, it just got a major piece written in the New York Times Magazine uh, covering the Bulletproof Conference. So uh, it was it was an honor to be there, to be honest, and just to see all the energy there. So we captured that in the videos, and you'll absolutely have access to those as soon as the edits are done, I promise. Okay. Uh, next question from Paul. So I commute daily to work in London, eight miles each way. And whilst I generally avoid major roads and wear an air filter mask for cycling, I've noticed every now and then arriving to work with a chest cough and phlegm. Sometimes that heavy feeling in the lung lasts for a couple of days. I was hoping for advice on what you feel I should take that would help detox my lungs body specifically for air pollution, particularly from cars. I'd like to speak to this. I'm from London. Yeah. I, I know that pollution well. Hundreds of thousands of people um, have their health compromised completely necessary from air pollution. Or, or go to Beijing where it's it, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And, and we're now starting to realize air pollution creates a lot of premature death, has a negative impact on quality of life. It lowers IQ. Low is IQ, and there's actually a study came out this year relating to pollution in London that estimated nine and a half thousand Londoners die each year because of air pollution, and in the entire of the UK, that figures closer to 80,000 people each year wow. just from air pollution, and there were two main culprits. There's the toxic gas nitrogen dioxide, so that gets released from... Um, cars and lorries and buses that use diesel. And you've got particulate matter. Yeah, and there's a very really specific type of particulate matter called 2.5. And that basically means particulate matter that is less than 2.5 micrometers. So it's like um, 100,000 times smaller than hair. So it's kind of minute right. stuff. It can enter the cells, right? It can enter the cells. And so what's happening is that when you're breathing this in, and if you're cycling, you're having to work hard. So you're taking these considerable breaths in, yeah? And it's compromising health. So what you're describing there is a big red flag warning. It's saying that already the pollution is starting to affect you. Um, and there's a whole bunch of things you can do about it. First of all, you can make a decision to move. You, 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 can, you can make a decision to actually say, you know what? This is affecting my health. It's affecting yeah. my family health. I no longer want to expose myself to this, given the compelling data that this affects people's health. So you have always have yeah. that decision that may be not practical or realistic, and mm -hmm. I understand that. The next thing is a particular type of air filter mask. It's called N. 99, it filters out 99% of particulate matter. And then you've got to be having your antioxidants, the liposomal glutathione, the NAC, the ALA, vitamin D is really important as well. I'm really, I'm really pleased you, you wrote in with this question because it's, it's something that very few people know yeah. about. It's hugely important. It's, it's one of the reasons I, I used to be a, an avid cyclist years ago when I was mm. 300 pounds and I actually had wheels on my bike with extra spokes, <laughs> so I would quit bending wheels. <laughs> According to 300 pounds, you have to do that. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, 36 spokes, if I remember right. And uh, I, I would ride you know, even 15, 20 miles a day. I didn't lose the weight, but I breathed a lot of, uh, a lot of bad air. Yeah. And I would definitely experience the difference as well. And I can't imagine deciding to cycle in a, in a big city right now. And it's not about cars hitting you, which may or may not happen, but you'll probably live uh, but it's it's more about just that constant exposure to that stuff. Like I, I put my uh, my car on recirculate when I'm driving the city. It's you know an air conditioning setting, and most modern good cars have an air filtration system anyway. Because breathing diesel exhaust is so well established to just be bad for you on every level. Uh, and now we have like the the VWs, which maybe don't even have the the same oh, diesel yes, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, environmental correctness we thought. Yeah. Although that might have not been exhaust related, that was just fuel consumption. Yeah. So. One thing that, that might be effective for you is actually nebulized glutathione. And you cannot gl nebulize glutathione force, which is the Bulletproof Glutathione product. You want to be pulling systemic stuff from your tissues. 
but this would be a really useful thing for you, I think, because it actually gets into the lungs directly. You also should be taking a lot more vitamin C than the average person, several grams a day. Unfortunately, in the EU, thanks to this very oppressive set of legislation called the Codex, the upper dose of vitamin C you can buy there is 500 milligrams per capsule versus one gram in the rest of the free world. So number one, you should be complaining to your, your government about the fact that they're telling you exactly how much vitamin C you, should ta- you, you can take. It's none of their business, frankly, but you should be taking several grams a day. You'll know when you've had too much vitamin C because it gives you disaster pants. Uh, note to self, don't try high doses of vitamin C before going on your eight-mile bike ride because disaster pants on a bike, mm. don't even go there. And what you'll also find is that hyperbaric oxygen can do wonders for bringing that detox of your lungs and your body back online. So if you have an opportunity to spend a little while in a hyperbaric chamber, even a couple times a month, it can help to bring oxygen back to those parts of you that have been exposed to uh, the carbon dioxide and specifically carbon monoxide that you're breathing when you're riding in a polluted environment like that. Yeah, so anyone listening to this, do yourself a favor and even just Google air pollution. It's it's kind of pretty mind-blowing when you start reading about it. In fact, I, I used an N99 mask at Burning Man, and I even found one that looked kind of like a stormtrooper. It was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, you can get designer masks in there. You can look pretty cool with it. Okay, next question we're going to listen is from Mitchell. Hi, Dave. What biohack can you do to bring about on-demand creativity on a budget? I've been doing dual MBAC training for synthetic intelligence. However, I want to focus on creative intelligence. You recommended the Focus Creative Attention Training app before. Any chance of bringing it back? Thanks. You know, for a while there, we had this really cool device that would uh, allow you to to bring blood flow to the front of your brain via biofeedback. Unfortunately, uh, the inventor of it just stopped answering emails, stop shipping devices, and there's no way that I'm going to be shipping things that I can't support or that I, I can't ship after someone buys them. So I, with great regret, took that offline. I have several versions of it here at Bulletproof Labs uh, that, I, that I use, but it's not something that I can offer commercially, sadly. And that was a very difficult kind of training. You do about five minutes and it just makes you tired. And, and it's, it's really cool because it, it did move blood inside the head. I expect that we're going to see a whole renaissance of these technologies because it's very easy to measure blood under the under the, the scalp and even in the brain just using infrared lights and optical sensors that are now very inexpensive. So what happens if you move more blood here versus more blood here? You can do it very quickly. It's one of the easier types of, of biofeedback you could do. The proof case is you want to learn how to make your finger warmer. You can buy a $10 thermometer that goes on the end of your finger, a digital one, and you can change your finger temperature usually within an hour of just playing around. Like, oh my God, I consciously have control of blood flow in my fingers. The brain is not that different. So the question is, how do you train it? And so I expect that we'll see a bunch of Kickstarter things like that because this kind of technology is just awesome. And if you're someone out there working on something like this, uh, drop us a note on the support line, support at bulletproof.com. And it's, it's always interesting to know what's happening and uh, maybe there's a way to do this because I'm a huge fan of just moving blood around in the brain because the brain doesn't always know to do that itself. But if you want on-demand creativity, there's a couple substances that have been used for on-demand creativity for a very, very long time. Specifically, if you look at uh, the history of great writers, they use coffee and they use cigarettes. I am not a fan of cigarettes because, well, we just talked about air pollution, right? Putting burning crap in your lungs is not good for you. You won't live a long time. They're tied to cancer. However, nicotine, specifically just that active ingredient in tobacco, it's actually one of the active ingredients, is a smart drug in and of its own right. And using very small doses, like one milligram at a time of nicotine, which is half of the smallest lozenge you could buy for smoking cessation, in combination with, so you melt one of those under your tongue, and you do that right after you've had a Bulletproof coffee. When I wrote the Bulletproof diet, and as I was working on Bulletproof, the cookbook that's just coming out at bulletproofcookbook.com, a gratuitous plug there, I absolutely use that because when you want to go into that flow state, there's something that happens when you activate the nicotinic acid receptors in your brain as well as get the energy from brain octane and get all of the normal things that coffee does with caffeine. So you can just more easily go into that state 
Uh, the other thing that really radically helps is heart rate variability training. And that's something in the Bulletproof Coaching Program we're teaching our, um, our coaches to, to use with clients. It's something that I use with clients as well. And we have Stress Detective, the Bulletproof app that lets you monitor your stress all day long. But we also carry the inner balance sensor on the Bulletproof website that clips onto your ear and it teaches you how to turn off your sympathetic mode. You want to be in on-demand creativity mode, you better be out of fight or flight mode because you will not be creative if your body is worrying about a tiger eating you, which is what it worries about most of the time when you're not on top of it. So that's kind of a neat stack, some stuff that increases what your brain's doing. And if you want to be a little bit more floaty, try adding maybe some L-theanine in or uh, just uh, just taking a few minutes off, uh, going for a walk, taking deep breaths, uh, a little bit of meditation, and then going in recharged with these cognitive enhancing substances. On top of that, I like to layer in something called aniracetam, which is a fat-soluble pharmaceutical sort of thing. It's not a pharmaceutical in the US, but in Europe it's considered a pharmaceutical. And that stuff increases memory I.O., which is your ability to get things in and out of your memory. I've been on aniracetam or one of the other racetams most of the time for 15 years. I'm on aniracetam right now, which is one of the reasons I haven't said um probably more than once in this episode. So that's kind of a long answer, but boom. Yeah, I, I love the subject of creativity, so I'm going to give my top yeah. creativity hacks. Um, creativity often comes to us when we're not looking for it. And so sometimes it's about paying attention and focus and then allowing yourself to daydream. Um, and in that daydream, you get the creative insight. So learning how to fluctuate between that state of focus and daydream, really important. The big area that I'm kind of working on right now is actually lucid dreaming, so hacking dreams. And that's mm -hmm. a profound way to access creative insight. And so the whole idea of lucid dreaming is you become awake whilst within the dream and you realize you're awake. And what you can do when you start to lucid dream is you can actually ask for insights, creative insights into challenges and problems um, or insights into even kind of, as I did it for myself, you know, writing a book or how you deal with a challenge. And it literally will come to you in that dream and then you bring it into waking life. Yeah. So there's some really cool uh, ways of, of being creative. When you get into the lucid dreaming thing, it, it's pretty incredible. Some of the more advanced uh, 40 years of Zen training can teach you to be in, in a more of a theta state and to have more control of, of what you do when you're in that, that kind of a, a dream world. And there's even some kind of, they sound a little weird. And stuff I, I've come across going back at least 15 years, there's like a little device that, that you carry or watch or a thing you put on, on your belt. And sometimes when you first start lucid dreaming, you can be like, am I actually in a dream? Mm. Because it's so real and you're not sure. And the idea is you're supposed to look at the device and like the light will be on if you're, if you're in the real world or off when you're in a dream or vice versa. But here's the interesting thing. You carry the device to make you think about whether you're dreaming or not, not to actually, it, the device cannot work in the dream, but your mind knows the device works. <laughs> so then in the dream, it sends you a signal so you can become aware that it's a dream instead of you're like, why is the world so interesting? The way we often think when we're in a dream, we're like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. This doesn't seem real. And then we have the desires we would normally have in a dream. But if there's a little signal somewhere in the dream, it goes, oh, wait, this is a dream. Yay. Now I can like, you know, make it rain cats or whatever <laughs> you always wanted it to do. Yeah, lucid dreaming is great. And, you know, uh, lucid dreaming actually is the foundation for lucid living. So, um, and so lucid dreaming, the, the one that I do is, um, I tell myself throughout the day when I see my hands in my, in my dreaming sleep, that means I'm dreaming. And so what will happen is I'll be dreaming and they'll notice my hands and then bang, it's like, yeah. wow. I'm awake. And then the key is not to get too overexcited because then you pop out of it as well. <laughs> that was my challenge. And, right? and, and, and the first time you do it, you can't help but be excited. It's like, wow. Like, and then yeah. You're out. And, and then it's out. But um, there's loads of resources out there on lucid dreaming. Uh, if you're into creativity, take a look at it. Yep. Okay. So next question from Adrienne, age 39. Dave, I regularly listen to your podcast and I appreciate what you and your guests have to say. I have chronic mouth ulcers that recur and cycle in approximately two-week periods, leaving me in a state of both chronic pain and stress. This is not a symptom of herpes virus, although that virus may play a role in the autoimmune attack. If I am lucky, I get two days in that cycle pain-free. Do you have any tips on how to hack this problem or at least settle the pain when they occur? You know... Questions like this make me incredibly grateful to be doing Bulletproof Radio and just all of Bulletproof. I had these damned mouth, mouth ulcers the entire time I was a teenager, up till my mid-20s, and I finally hacked the problem. They weren't apparently herpes-related. I'd get them along the edges of, of my lips, not on the outside edge, which is typically herpes, but on the inside edge, these little white things. 
uh, when I was like 16, I remember I used to take a, a a lighter and a sharp knife and I would get the end of it red hot and I would like burn them, which hurt like hell, right? But I would do this because I was convinced it was some sort of infectious mm-hmm. thing and, and they tortured me. You know what? Food sensitivities. So number one, Adrian, go out there and spend a couple hundred bucks and get a, a food allergy panel and find out if you're allergic to something. Wheat, dairy, potentially eggs are the most likely triggers. It is probably one of those things. It could be soy, could be corn. You eliminate that, they may go away. The second thing that will trigger those things is mold. And if you're getting environmental mold, which I was getting as a kid, I lived in a moldy bedroom and didn't know it, or if you're eating certain foods with molds that you're sensitive to in them, they can cause those things as well. What's interesting about you, though, is it's approximately every two weeks, and your name is Adrian, and you're right at the age of perimenopause. You're 39, so you probably are either in perimenopause or you're about to go into it. So because of the two-week cycle, there may be a hormone-related thing. It could be that your cortisol levels get too depressed at a certain point, so you're not suppressing these things. So you could look at whether your cortisol is dysregulated, you have adrenal dysfunction, but adrenal dysfunction doesn't cause these, either food allergies or mold allergies or potentially the direct effect of mold toxins, which are correlated with both uh, vaginal and rectal and oral lesions in animals. So this is a hackable problem. You do not have to live with this. I lived with it for so long and I have not had one of those in so many years. I'm grateful. And if one comes back, I know exactly why it was my fault and what to do about it. Yeah, I mean, no one should ever have to live with mouth ulcers. They're so painful. They cause so much misery. A couple of things came to mind. this may not be applicable to you, but for some people listening to this, it will be Eastern contraceptive pill has oh, been yeah. linked to mouth ulcers. Yes. It can deplete zinc and cause problems with the immune system. If you're low in iron, as many women are, that can predispose mm-hmm. you to mouth ulcers as well, as can deficiencies of folate and uh, vitamin uh, B12. Um, gluten sensitivity... Wheat, dairy, I used to get mouth ulcers all the time. That was the gluten sensitivity. <laughs> okay. It's like, you know... Wh- hold when- on, are you celiac? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, oh, wait, I'm, hold on. Can you have I a know, gluten sensitivity right. without being exactly, celiac? Of course yeah. you can, right? Welcome to non-celiac gluten sensitivity. <laughs> you absolutely can. Yeah. And and come off gluten, dairy, you know, eggs for two weeks, even nightshade um, uh, vegetables yeah. oh, as that well. Oh, that could actually be a big that, trigger. Yeah, that could Potatoes, be... Potatoes, you know, tomatoes. T- yeah. Exactly. So all of those. So take, take a look at um, that... And when you do have mouth ulcers, hopefully you're going to hack it and it won't be a problem anymore. You can use topically applied um, propolis, which is, um, which is a honey extract, which is a natural antiseptic. P-R-O-P-O-L-I-S. Yeah. Propolis is just great. It, 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 just, it speeds up the healing process. Um, slippery elm lozenges. So slippery elm creates this what's called mucilage and it kind of coats the mouth ulcers. You can buy them in any health mm-hmm. food store. Yep. That, uh, that helps as well. Take a high potency, high quality B vitamin complex. If you're iron deficient, replace it with an absorbable form of iron. Um, but particularly look at the mold problem, the food sensitivity problem. And you know, we wish you well with that, but great question because it affects a lot of people. There's a final little thing on there. The US has this particularly mean perspective on pain management. Where like, well, you know, if, if you use something that takes away pain other than like a over-the-counter yeah. Tylenol or aspirin or an, an NSAID, then somehow it's, it's bad. Medical grade 5% xylocaine or lidocaine liquid is badass. You can get it from your doctor. They sell it in ointment, but they also sell it in a liquid. If you get the liquid, it blows away Orogel and stuff like that. You're having a hard time going to sleep. They're really hurting. You take a little bit on a Q-tip or just the tip of your finger and a, a little bit goes a very long way and you pull your lip back and you just dab those things, put a Kleenex over it or a cotton ball so you don't get that and numb your whole tongue, which feels weird for a while. Uh, let it sit there for maybe one minute and then just wipe it off and you'll mm-hmm. absolutely feel nothing on your lip and you'll be able to go to sleep. So this is a short-term pain management. It's nothing like Oragel or the over-the-counter stuff. Go to your doctor and be like, no, I want the good stuff. <laughs> Great. Okay, let's uh, next one. So Daniel, age 39, I have mercury amalgam fillings in my teeth. I will remove them as soon as I can. In the meantime, how bad is this stuff having it in your teeth? And what should I, could I do in the meanwhile before removing it? So I'd like to speak to this. Why don't you start? Yeah, I've, this, I've had mercury toxicity too, yeah, but you've treated this it more than is, I have. You know, um, I'm going to get my high horse here. Get, get on it. Make the, it big. The, this is it. Let's put it this way. Mercury is the most poisonous, non-radioactive substance on the planet. It has no place in the human mouth. 
It's been used for over 100 years, and there is compelling evidence that mercury is neurotoxic, nephrotoxic, damages your heart, your nervous system, and that the vast majority of people who have mercury amalgam fillings actually have a constant release of mercury vapor yeah. from the mouth, which gets absorbed through the GI tract and gets converted into toxic form of mercury that absolutely compromises your energy, your health, and your performance. So I'm really pleased you're obviously aware that mm. this is an issue. I'm really pleased about that. But there's a caveat here, which is that more damage can be done if those mercury amalgams yes. are removed in an inappropriate way. I, I had that done, serious problems. Yes, right. listen to this. Yeah, th this is so important to get. You know, at one level, you're better off keeping them in until you find a dentist who is skilled in the safe removal of mercury amalgam fillings. So there is a organization called the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. And it consists of dentists and doctors throughout the world who understand that uh, the problem of mercury toxicity and how to safely and responsibly remove mercury amalgam fillings and do so whilst on a program of detoxification and antioxidants. Because when you have those mercury fillings removed, they can release a whole bunch of mercury vapor. So it has to be done properly. You have to have constant water, you have to have high evacuation suction, so it literally sucks out all of the, the mercury vapor. You have to be fully clothed, fully protected. So make sure your dentist is signed up to this protocol. You've got, you got to say, what safety precautions can you ensure me? And you need to be taking antioxidants way beforehand. Yeah. You need to be preparing yourself. Glutathione force. I, I would take a whole syringe before I went in. A or, whole or bunch of stuff. If you can. Yeah, exactly. IV glutathione is great. Mm -hmm. you know, liposomal glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid are all really important. Activated charcoal, super important. What you can do is actually once you have those mercury amalgam fillings removed, wash your mouth out with some water with activated charcoal in it yep. that actually collates it. Actually then put in some liposomal glutathione as well. So I am so pleased that you've written in about this because it is such an important subject. When they do this right, you're going to actually look like something from the matrix. <laughs> There's light shining in your eyes. You've got a rubber dam surrounding all but the tooth they're working on because you get aerosolized mercury. And, and if they don't do this right, you actually get something called an amalgam tattoo. Mm. As the, the high-speed drill hits the mercury and well, the silver and whatever else is in the filling, it basically scatters and it sticks to the tissues in your mouth and you don't want to absorb all that. That's the problem. So you get chronic low dose or you get it drilled out by the way dentists always did and you get this huge wave of this happening. Um, there's also some talk about selenium being somewhat protective. So you might want to take a little bit of extra selenium yeah. when you're doing it. But the dentist you're working with should address the biological protection from this. And if it's within your means when you're done with this, I think that there's a great case for doing a few rounds of intravenous chelation or at least oral chelation using something like DMPS or DMSA. And these are things that you could chat with your physician about. Uh, there may be something to be done with zeolite clay, although the research on that is, in humans at least, is, is still outstanding. But bottom line is, it's not doing any favors now. It's certainly releasing the vapor gas you talked about. Mm. And if you have mismatched types of fillings, because they were done by different doctors at different times, mm. what you have that's really weird is you have a battery, because your saliva is slightly acidic, and then you have one kind of metal here, another kind of metal here, and they'll generate a current flow between them. Right. And you have all these nerves that run through your jaw and through your mouth. And so you get subtle perturbations of your nervous system. So like get the metal out, absolutely. Mm. And I understand it's expensive, it's important, and it's really important to do it right. Mm. There will come a time when the use of mercury amalgam fillings will be banned worldwide. Yeah. There will come a time. And if you're listening to this podcast and you can taste metal in your mouth, that's a big sign. If you have problems with brain fog mm -hmm. and unexplained nervous system problems, and I've come across many patients like this, consider mercury amalgam fillings being a problem. Okay, so our next question is Josh, age 28. Hi, Dave. I absolutely love your coffee, and I've always wanted to try and roast beans myself. I was wondering if you knew how I could get your beans green or unroasted from the source. If that's not an option, then would you be willing to suggest any specific regions where buying green beans would be a wise choice? Well, this is a, a tough question. It's not 
economically feasible to sell the green coffee. Um, there's no way you could get our beans green or unroasted from the source except from us because we were working directly with the Bulletproof plantation and Bulletproof processing to get them. So I've looked at, at just demand for green Bulletproof coffee beans and it, it's very, very low. Uh, so it would cost uh, just tens of thousands of dollars to roll out a, a product like that and it would mostly not be used. So I, unfortunately, I'd, I'd like to accommodate that request, but there just isn't enough need for unroasted coffee beans for that to make sense. Uh, you'll also find that when you roast them, that you lose a lot of the bean. <laughs> they become lighter when they're roasted. So a pound of green coffee beans does not yield a pound of roasted coffee beans. So they're, they actually become more expensive that way. However, the cost of roasting them is deducted. So when you buy green coffee beans, they're usually less expensive than roasted coffee beans, but they're less expensive because you get less finished coffee from them and it takes work to get that coffee out of them. And so where would you go to get as a region to buy green beans? The second blog post I ever wrote has been used by everyone in the coffee industry now to promote the, the supposedly safe coffee beans. And I'm the one who published the research for that. So here's the deal. If you want to reduce the likelihood, but not the total amount of getting mold or specifically secondary metabolites of mold called mycotoxins in your coffee, what you do is you look for coffee that comes from a Central American region, which just tends to have better quality. That said, you can find some clean coffees from other parts of the world as well. We're just flipping a coin. We're just playing the odds here. And back before I developed the lab testing and specifically the process that we change at the roasting, or sorry, at the roasting, the process we change at the green coffee processing facility, uh, before all of that, I would go in and I would follow this algorithm that is now published. And you say, I want a Central American coffee. And you say, I want washed coffee. Because studies show that washed coffee, which is fermented and does have mold toxins, that it has less mold toxins on average than natural processed coffee. So by eliminating natural processed coffee and by going for a part of the world, Central America, that typically has less of the bad molds, you can statistically reduce the likelihood of getting mold. However, I found I was still throwing out somewhere around two-thirds of the coffee that I was spending $20 a pound on, the high-end coffees, because I drink them and I'd feel the sympathetic activation and I can actually sense the molds in these things because I've had the misfortune of living in moldy houses several times and I'm primed to be sensitive to this stuff. So that was the genesis of Bulletproof Coffee. Like I just wanted coffee. Actually, that's the genesis of Bulletproof Coffee Beans. Bulletproof Coffee had some other stuff in it. I just wanted coffee that would not cause the jitter and crankiness and just the really strong result I get. And that same result in other people causes, oh, the afternoon brain fog. Oh, it came from drinking coffee in the morning that had mold toxins in it. Why? Because the body needs more glucose in order to deal with toxins than it doesn't. And you can get blood sugar crashes. And there's all sorts of things that happen when you consume these allegedly safe levels of toxins in your coffee. Oh, wait, except there are no regulations in the U.S., so you don't know what the levels are, unlike Europe, where even there probably 5% of the coffee exceeds their regulatory limits according to a recent study in Spain. So the short answer is washed coffee from Central America, but you still have a two thirds chance of getting moldy coffee. The mold forms as the coffee is fermenting in these big open wash basins, they're usually made of cement or tile with wild strains of yeast and mold and bacteria. And basically you let the fruit spoil and get mushy so you can wash it off more easily. The bulletproof process is a continuous flow process and I've actually got some video footage coming out for you where there's these three big white pipes that we installed that carry our coffee beans across the fermentation vessels without ever going into them so we can do continuous flow coffee processing that never stops so that we don't allow fermentation and that difference is profound so there you go if you're going to go to a coffee shop you're going to take a risk and your best bet is washed coffee from Central America. But if someone selling coffee tells you that that means the coffee is mold-free and that mold is a non-issue in coffee, respectfully, most world governments disagree, which is why they protect their populations and ours don't. And as someone who runs lab tests on coffee and really looks at this, uh, check out the Bulletproof One Ugly Mug uh, post where I write about just the most common mold toxin in coffee, where there's 34 studies looking at mold in coffee. So if someone's telling you that mold is a non-issue in coffee, uh, they're trying to sell you something, and it's called coffee with mold in it. Okay, I think we're, uh, we're pretty much done. Was that the end of it? That's the end. All right, so before we end, end, gratitude. 
Thank you for listening to the show and thank you for putting these questions in. And when you ask these questions, it gives great things for Mark and me just to, to chat mm-hmm. about. So we have a, a great time on this and I feel like this is adding value. The question about those little oral canker sores that are not related to herpes, the amount of suffering in my life from that, yeah. oh my God. So I, I just imagine that there's thousands of people listening to this going, oh, I could do something about that. Uh, and I just uh, I thought of one other thing for that. I'm going to throw it in there. If you try the uh, Bulletproof uh, um, upgraded charcoal, upgraded charcoal can bind to just general toxins in the gut. My daughter's had those oral mouth sores a couple times, and I always give her the Bulletproof upgraded charcoal because if it is toxin-mediated, this is one of the things that I'm hopeful can help. I don't have a lab study to say that, but I found in my own case uh, when I used to get those things, like lowering my toxin exposure was helpful. So this is something that that you might consider to see if it has any effect for you. And finally, everything we just talked about here, there are very valuable snippets of advice, things that are going to be really helpful. If you go to the show notes, the transcript on bulletproof.com, or sorry, on bulletproofexec.com, we will make it so you can just click anywhere and we'll take you to just that part of YouTube, just a little 30 second clip that you can then share with your friends. So you don't have to share the whole episode, but if you just share the whole episode, I totally appreciate it. You also can see our conversation. We're actually sitting here live at Bulletproof Studios, showing off cool gadgets and things like that. You can watch that and it's really worth your time to go to bulletproof.com slash YouTube. That's bulletproof.com slash YouTube. Go there once and subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you do that, you'll get a bunch of other videos that are not on Bulletproof Radio. It's all free stuff. It's not salesy stuff at all. It's just there for you to learn and for you to get more knowledge so you can become even more Bulletproof. That's bulletproof.com slash YouTube. You just do it once, go there, and you'll just get notified automatically whenever these episodes go online and when other stuff goes online that you're going to want to see. Have an awesome day. Hello, my name is Stephen McCain. I'm 41 years old, I'm a biohacker and a former Olympic gymnast. Finding Bulletproof, becoming now a coach, I can tell you that I started this process always being about myself, trying to make the most I could of myself. And now I look around in the world and you can't help but feel that I want to share this. So thank you Bulletproof for instilling in me something that I feel like I can contribute back to the world and that I feel like I have an obligation to do so that we can all feel better and be upgraded. Hi, I'm Emily Baker. I am not a health coaching type of person. I'm a deputy district attorney. So I deal all day with criminals. The shifts that have happened for me personally over the last two days have been amazing. And I know when I leave this coach training, not only will I be a better coach, but I'm going to be a better friend, a better employee, a better attorney, a better mom, a better wife. And I'm going to be a better person in society because I can go forward with an awareness of myself that is so powerful because this makes me feel amazing, just like the Bulletproof Diet and the Bulletproof Coffee does. But this feeds your soul in a way that the Bulletproof Diet feeds your body. And it's been so powerful. Well, my name is Arvid Eckenberg from Sonoma, California. I arrived enthusiastic and ostensibly very open. It didn't take long for various uh, prejudices and beliefs to assert themselves and I found myself discouraged. I can't do this. But damn, if it's remarkable that uh, in just these two days I uh, realized that it's not unattainable. In fact, it's not even that difficult. So, Hi, my name's Allison Hahn. I'm from Chicago. And I am a teacher by trade. I've been in education for a while, and I wanted to really expand what I do in the education field. And I've been totally transformed in the last couple days. 
Um, I thought that I would have to learn all of the science and be all absorbed into all of the knowledge and technology. And I actually found how much of the essence is really already inside me. And I think a lot of people found that there. That as long as you have this passion and that you have this awareness and this interest in making a transformation, that all of the other stuff will fall into place. And I'm very excited for this journey. Thank you very much. Hello, uh, my name is Christian Tucker. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect when I came here, but truly these last two days have been uh, transformative, and I am really, really looking forward to more training and eventually implementing this and helping people. My name is Trudy Northcott. I'm from Auckland, New Zealand. So I showed up here two days ago um, hoping to find what was gonna help me to be a really good bulletproof coach to help everyone back in New Zealand. And you know what? I found it. These last two days, I can say 100% confidently, have been the best of my life, apart from giving birth to my daughter. <laughs> that was number one. But this has been an amazing experience. My name is Dan Sullivan, and I'm from Maine. I'm a certified health coach, and I really wanted to take my business above and beyond. I wanted to give my clients something, something so much more than I have been giving them. Another approach, and what Dr. Mark has been giving us has just been absolutely astounding. The energy in the room is so palpable. If you're thinking about coming to Bulletproof and becoming a coach, I would highly, highly recommend it. You're going to enjoy yourself. You're going to have a great time. And I'm just so thankful to be here. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.